Um, welcome uh, to this session. Uh, against such thing there is so no law, biblical truth and scientific insights on happiness and well-being. Uh, so I'm Sam Malins. I'm a clinical psychologist. I spend part of my time in, in research, part of my time in like clinical practice. And I'm a small group leader at uh, Trent Vineyard. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this time we've got together today. So just as people are coming in, um, I guess I just, there's a few things I wanted to say up, up front. Firstly, um, what I'm going to talk about today, I would really say I'm like a student of, um, as in I, I'm learning this as well. Uh, uh, and so this is kind of like, I, I'm still getting my head around where the best way uh, to, to like work, work out what I'm going to talk about uh, in my life. Um, so, so yeah, and so I, one thing I'm aware of is that I'm definitely not going to be able to answer all the questions. That, so please forgive me if I don't answer questions that, um, that come up. Um, but I also uh, am aware that um, some of this might not be fully super duper relevant to you. So I just would encourage you like right from now to take what is useful and leave what is, what is not useful. Um, as in don't like let the bit that you didn't like mean that you take nothing from this. If you're going to commit an hour to this, that's a good big chunk of time. Please do take what's useful, leave what's not. And uh, kind of in that vein, I just want to clarify one thing before we even get into the, the well-being stuff. It's quite unlikely, uh, unfortunately, that you take something um, from this and do it. It's, your life would be different. Um, this this kind of short thing, it's quite most likely thing is that nothing different will come off the back of it. So, I, I, But it doesn't need to be that way. So what I would be encouraging you to do is like, have a notepad, a paper, have your phone, send a text to a friend to say, hi, I, I just thought this thing that I'm gonna do something different. Think of something that you are gonna do different off the back of this, write it down and do it ideally like straight away, like right after this, or like definitely within the next week. If you do not do something within the next couple of weeks, it's unlikely you're going to do anything. So I'd really encourage you to do, do something like pretty much straight away. So um, also just wanted to say that um, there's some bits about uh, well-being that I'm not going to talk about today. We did a series of webinars um, at Trent Vineyard on mental health over the summer. And I've just put them in the, in the, in the chat. Um, so if you, the, the stuff I'm not going to talk about, which is kind of more about how to deal with specific problems, uh, that's on in those webinars, please go to that and access that. Um, yeah. Uh, the last thing is, this is kind of 100% reliant on you guys participating in the chat. So it's great to see the chat kind of going up. We're going to like participate to the max here because um, otherwise it's going to be very quiet. Um, I'm just gonna pray before we get into, into the content. Lord, thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this privilege to be able to share what you have shown me. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd help me not to get in the way of what you want to do with this time. And Lord, I just pray even if there's stuff that's completely unrelated to what I'm talking about, that you want to spark in people's the people who are, are watching hearts, may we just say, Lord, your kingdom come. I pray this would be like your kingdom coming through this, through this session, that people would be encouraged. Um, your spirit would go to them and that lives would be changed through what we're doing in this next hour. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so, well, let's just, there's a Bible verse I want to read, and then we're just going to wade straight into it. This is kind of the framing for what we're going to be talking about, is Galatians 5, verse um, 13 to 26. I'm going to read it. We're probably going to be referring back to it, but I'm going to just read it out. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the, of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Yeah. Occasionally, I imagine like Paul, like, like this being written with like a, a kind of wry smile. All right, I know there's a load of laws, but here's some stuff you can fill your boots with. You can do this like to the max. Um, and, and I think some of those pieces, the fruit of the spirit, that is what we're going to be talking about. So let's start here. And I need you guys to answer this, so please do. How much happier, if you, you win, on average, lottery winners who win more than a million dollars in the US, how much happier would you be uh, as a percentage? So like, you know, 50%, 60%, 70%, 30%, and why? And please just pop that in the, in the, in the chat. So you're, you win the lottery, you get at least a million dollars. So let, let's make it a million pounds. Um, how much happier and why? Okay, we've got some zeros. Not sure they would be. 100% happier, 50%. So, so minus 50%. Okay, zero, 10%, 5%, 20%, minus 50%, 10%. Okay, I'm trying to catch some of the reasons. It's because the chat's going up. Maybe because I'd be worried. You don't want to be too rich. Too many people asking for money. Okay, 50% because I would give more to my kids and wouldn't have to worry about income. Okay. You would be for a moment. Okay, great. 200%, right. Let's, 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 um, you're getting, the, you're getting the, the, you're getting the, the, um, the sense here. Let me, let me share what I would like to share here. So, um can i share that yeah so this is um can you see that it doesn't look like you can can you can you guys see yes there we are okay so um let me tell you so this is what it looks like you win a million dollars 
your happiness does go up initially for a period of time. But three to six months later, as many of you guessed, um, you're back down to as happy as you ever were to start off with. Um, I guess I wanted to flag this one up because it's kind of contrary to what a lot of us would think and, and like certainly in terms of our desires, what we would imagine might happen. And I guess some of you have touched on some of the reasons for this, but I guess the key thing is that we as humans, one of the brilliant things about being human is that we get used to stuff. And we don't get used to anything quicker than pleasant experiences. You know, so that Ferrari that I just got, and I'm super excited the day that I got it, it really doesn't take very long at all before that becomes normal. That's just kind of, oh, that's just my car. Um, it wears out super duper quick and there aren't many other types of experience that wear out um, quicker than that. So great, 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 uh, great start. And I can see that you guys are on the ball. You, you know what you're talking about. Um, and I think it would be other things that make you happy. I think we, we might, we might talk about this. And, and a lot of you are talking a bit about like how you might use it that might be, might make it more likely that you'd end up happier uh, off the back of it. But let me, let me ask you a, a second question. Who's happier on average? Lottery winners, people who have won, won more than a million dollars on the lottery, or people who are, uh, have become uh, either paraplegic or quadriplegic, as in they've lost the ability to uh, use their arms and their legs or just their legs. Uh, who's happier between those two groups? Uh, lottery winners or paraplegics. So uh, this is paraplegics who are in a Western country, so they're, they're probably going to get some care for what's going on. They're not going to kind of be left totally on their own. And it's people typically who have had a life before the event. So they, they like typically would be like a road traffic accident. Long term, no difference. Okay, people who, are, who who've had that that kind of injury. Uh, and just to say that person who was like, I don't like the question. I know, I cannot believe they got the ethics to be able to ask this in a research study, but they did. Uh, it's a really hard question. It is a really hard question. Ah, similar graph, but initially low, then back to normal. That is what you find on average. As crazy it would be that anyone would ever get ethical approval to ask this question, that is what happens. So there are clearly great difficulties that come with losing the ability to use your arms or your legs that is that's clear this is not undermining that but on average compared to lottery winners people who have that kind of experience are as happy after a longer period of time so a year after the experience there is definitely a dip in happiness that comes on average and it does put you at risk of a number of other health problems but on average, in terms of how happy people are and how they feel about their lives, there's no difference between people who have lost the ability to use their limbs and people who have won the lottery. The, I guess a couple of key points I wanted to flag up here is, you know, we get used to stuff, but nothing that we get used to quicker than pleasant experiences. It, but we also get used to negative experiences, but it takes us longer to get used to. So we can adjust to negative experiences. And a key piece here is that um, our, 
how, do, how would I put this? That, that our, our, how we define how happy we are is relative, not absolute. And this is what's happening for people who have lost the ability to use their limbs and people who have won the lottery. The lottery winners have now got a new bar to compare themselves to. How, how am I doing compared to other people who have got a million dollars? Whereas when you lower the bar of what you're able to do, it can feel easier to get a, a greater sense of satisfaction from smaller things that you would, uh, might otherwise take for granted. So this is, this is by no means like saying that, you know, there's, this isn't a very good comparison, but it's really clarifying that the things that we often put our energy towards are unlikely to make us, make us happier. And the other piece I wanted to flag in here um, is that, uh, yes, I love that you flagged this up. Yes, how do you measure happiness? We're going to come back to that. That's a key point in, in this in this kind of in this in this this bit here. The other bit I wanted to flag from this is that um, that what yeah, our our intuitions are often so wrong here that our desires can pull us in the the wrong direction in terms of what's most likely to make us happy. Uh, so, and I guess in terms of the kind of lottery winner piece there. I just wanted to flag up, it's in that Galatians uh, passage, but it's kind of related to this idea of the flesh or sensuality, that when we give ourselves, it's super easy to give ourselves over to something that sensually, what, like how it might feel for the moment makes us feel better, but actually it's clearly, and the, the Bible like completely foreshadows any like science on this, that it's fleeting. It's by definition not gonna last. What's the point in, in, in putting your happiness there? But we're gonna come back to the sensuality in relation to how you define happiness a little bit further down the line. Okay, same question. Uh, and I, I'm, a, I'm kind of aware these are like controversial like uh, parallels I'm, I'm putting in here. Um, married or single? Who do you think on average would be happier? People who are married or people who are single? Single, then married, single, then married. Oh, this is like a perfect single, then married. Okay. Same graph. Okay. Men or women. Okay. So, right. Maybe there's a difference for men, difference for women. You're quite right there, David Gill, that actually, if there were one, one group that benefited more from marriage, it's men than women. Uh, women do not get a health benefit from close relationships with a man, but men do from women. Um, okay. We've got like complete mixed bag there. The person who said the same graph, it is a very similar graph. This was a consolidation question. Uh, what we're saying, what we find, and, and funnily, this has been replicated a number of times, is this. That actually just, if you take uh, married people, just before the wedding actually is when the happiness peaks, if you track it like repeatedly across time. But then, and, and it, it stays up for a, uh, around about two years. And by two years, on average, uh, people are as happy as they ever were to start off with. There isn't a difference in the long run between being married or single. Um, I guess the, the one other piece I wanted to throw in that I've been using all the way along is on average here. Uh, so there might, maybe that someone has already said, you know, maybe there are other things that are related to happiness that we aren't, haven't talked about. And so on average, yes, you know, 
um, and married people are not going to be no happier than single people and single people are no happier than married people. But there are clearly single people who are happier than married people. There are clearly married people who get married and they get happier and happier over time. There are clearly people who have a lot of money who are able to be happy. There are people who have lost the ability to use their limbs who can be happier in the long run. But it's more, probably some of the things that we don't necessarily think of as fueling happiness that might be in the mix here. Okay. Um, right, let's let's go to the next thing. I just wanted to see if you'd said anything else. So, um, no difference. Thank you, Dolly. Okay, rich or poor, who's happier? Rich people or poor people? Again, this is kind of like I, I, I want to ask the difficult questions. I'm aware this is a this isn't like a, a you know straightforward question. But what, where, if you, where would you put your money? Who would be happier? Rich people or poor people? Um, quite heavily researched area, this, by the way. Um, oh, it's because I haven't brought the chat down. I'm sorry, you have been saying a lot of things I haven't seen. Yeah, money doesn't bring happiness. Rich people who give their money away, good point. It's a bell curve, okay. It's mean 33,000, it, it peaks at 33,000 pounds salary. Hard to quantify. Evidence suggests poor, poor, is basic needs met. Okay. This, I actually want to show you a graph from one of the kind of seminal studies. I know this is all like, um, uh, this, is, this is all kind of like by lines that I'm showing you this, but um, I guess I wanted you to see, I guess what the scientists see around this. If we're just looking at it in simple terms, it looks like this. That, yes, uh, so kind of a slightly different to the money buys happiness thing, being poor is not good for your happiness uh, in, 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 in as much as like money affects happiness, which we'll come to. But um, once you hit, once like someone said, once your basic needs are met, which is quite early in, in, in like a, a country like ours, it, it starts to level off and then it completely levels off um, after, after a certain point, as in you, you could get more money, but you won't get any happier. That's, I really want to show you the actual graph from uh, like a really seminal study. So this was about half a million people in America. They're asking in this top line about happiness, positive mood, S like sadness, which is this blue, blue like that more people are less um, sad, and this bit about stress. So I just want to take a couple of minutes to explain what this graph is saying. Just if we focus on this top line, first thing it's saying is you do get a, a boost if you don't have much money from having some more money. If you are kind of like in the, the, the least affluent group, then you, you do benefit. But it wears off super quick. So by about here, actually, the money is already starting to, um, to like be worth less. So let me just put that in like illustrative terms for, for the UK. Let's say you're earning 18,000 pounds and then you get a pay rise to earn 20,000 pounds. You would be well within your logical rights to think, hey, that 2,000 pound pay rise made me this much happier. So if I just earn another 2,000 pounds, I'd be the same amount happier again. And you would be wrong. Already by that point, the effect of having more income is starting to wear off and it just wears off more and more that you're getting and it doesn't have any more benefit around about here, which is $75,000, which is about 50,000 pounds. But it really misses the point. It wears off like very, very quickly. 
And so from that point, like that 18 to 20,000 pounds, for every pound more that you earn, you want to earn one pound 40 more. So your desire for how much you want is, is growing the more that you earn. So just to give you an example of what I mean by that, if you um, ask people who earn, this is another US study, who earn $30,000, how much do you need like, to be, it to be enough, to be satisfied? They on average say about $50,000. Now go to people who earn $100,000 and say, how much do you need for it to be enough? And they don't say, hey, well, $50,000 would have been fine, but I'm in the bonus and I've got loads, it's great. On average, they say $250,000. So the idea of enough can be such a moving target in relation to, um, in relation to income. And it's partly because of this idea of how we decide our happiness is relative, not absolute. If I earn $100,000, I'm looking around and I'm probably hanging around with $100,000 type people. And so it doesn't feel like I'm rich. I don't feel like I'm the wealthy one there. I only feel like how, where I am relative to the rest of them. The other thing that I wanted to, or two other points. Um, I'm getting too excited about this, but I, I just wanna make sure this gets covered here. Let's just go to that bottom line, because this is the bit we don't talk about. Having a lot of money is stressful. It doesn't have anywhere near the same amount of effect on how stress-free uh, people with more money are. In fact, it starts to go down. There are difficulties about having money. You, it's, if you in, earn more, you're, you become less empathic, you're less generous with, uh, proportionally to, to people who are less wealthy. It doesn't may, mean that there aren't people who are generous in those terms, but it's harder to do it than if you had like a more moderate income. And this is the last thing I wanna say. Just look at the scale. This is, this, this like is if you put two, a zero on the end of the seven, this is the percentage of the population who are happy because as you got the graph. So if you are in the very bottom of this scale in the happiness one, about 70% of people are, are happy. If you're at the very top, it's just below 85%. What that's saying is, if I'm earning a, like 10,000 pounds, the difference between me earning 10,000 and 110,000 is about 15% more of those people would be happier. It, it is clearly isn't the defining thing of what makes us happy. And then just as an illustration, if you, um, if, if you look at how, um, how connected with people people feel, the effect is about seven times bigger than it is of, of, of income. Okay. So to, to explain that, I've kind of switched off from the, um, from the chat, but I, I want to catch, catch back up. Okay, I'm going to come to questions. One, one, more, one more piece, and then, then I'm going to come to questions. Please re-ask the questions, because I will, I will have lost it. Uh, when, when we come to questions in a second, because I will have lost it in the, in the melee. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, there's a lovely passage in Ecclesiastes which talks about this of like, I've had so much and like, what, it didn't, really didn't do as much as I was expecting it to. And this is this idea of our intuitions are out of check with the reality of it. And, and that's part of why I, I wanted to say at the start, if you ju just in case you missed it, it's clearly not enough. The knowing that, let's say, you know, money doesn't make you happy doesn't necessarily change the what we do. And, and so the second half of this session is really gonna be about putting into practice uh, what we see as kind of like clear in the Bible and in the, the, the kind of scientific evidence. Okay, and I, again, I know I'm mashing together lots of different situations here, uh, but as a really key point I wanna draw out from this. 
Who's happier, couples with children or couples with no children? And again, massively well-replicated area of research. And I guess I'm totally putting my hands up to say, these, we're talking about a zillion different uh, situations here, but on average, people with uh, couples with children or no children, <laughs> in lockdown, no children. Good call. Yes. Uh, with children? Okay, we've got a lot of with children here. Uh, let me just catch up with the chat. Depends whether they want children. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel you, Angela. Uh, in lockdown, no children definitely be, be easier. No difference. That's a good guess and it's in line with where we're going, but I can just tell you there is a difference here. Depends whether you want kids or, or not. Ah, raising kids is hard. Okay. Uh, no experience, then that's okay. Then you can, you've got the no experience, no children experience. Okay, so with children, right, I'm just gonna tell you. It is uh, pretty clear and repeated. I often imagine like researchers, maybe with children, just want, let's just do it again, just in case. People, couples with no children are consistently happier than couples with children. But I want to just draw out something that's really important in that research that we haven't talked about yet, relates to how we define happiness. So it's actually another consolidation question. There are some really pleasant experiences that come from having children, and there are some not so pleasant experiences that come with having children. The not so pleasant experiences take longer to get over than the pleasant experiences. So this is part of the reason why people with children um, their overall average happiness is lower than people without children. Um, but this is, this is the point about how we define happiness. But if you go to people with children and say stuff like, you know, okay, there's some hard stuff that comes with having children. Was it worth it? They will like, by and large, be like, yeah, of course, this because I'm contributing to something that's really valuable and meaningful here. So this idea of like, I guess the way I've been talking about happiness so far of happiness is like um, feeling good, positive emotions, joy, those kind of things. That is important, but it's clearly not it. So I want to move us on to an important question here about the types of happiness that we're talking about. So in terms of research, there are three types of happiness that have been identified. One we will call the pleasant life. This is as many pleasurable experiences as you can kind of get your hands on. You can get that, you can have a pleasant life, pleasant experiences. The second is the engaged life. This would be you are with what you're doing when you're doing it uh, as much of the time as, as possible. So this is like the musician who's lost in the groove. This is the athlete who's in the zone. That is another type of happiness. And the third type of happiness is what we'll call a meaningful life. You feel like what you're doing with your life is contributing to something bigger than yourself. So um, give me an idea of, uh, how shall I phrase this? There's a, well, no, let's do the odd one out in a minute. Um, let's rank them. Which of those, so uh, one, two, and three, how do you rank them in terms of their connection with how satisfied you feel with your life? You know, so would you be most satisfied if you had the pleasant life, but not the engaged life, meaningful life? Would you be most satisfied with the engaged life? Three, two, one. Pretty consistent three, two, one here. One, two, three. Um, three, two, one. Okay, okay, yes. 
you're right. Okay, all right, all right, you got it. You beat me to this with your, with your smart brains. Um, you're right. It is the most, the greatest connection with being satisfied with your life is the meaningful life. Second would be in the engaged life. And there is no association between how many pleasant experiences you have and how satisfied you are with your life. As in the pleasant, how many pleasant experiences you have does not determine how satisfied you feel about your life. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still here, aren't I? Yeah. Can I just unpack what this actually means? I've been content to it. Yes, he does. And let's just let's just unpack what this means. So this lady at the bottom here is Rosa Parks, um, Martin Luther King in the background there. So she, I, I also use um, uh, uh, Mother Teresa in this as well. She deliberately chose to do something that was unpleasant and have an unpleasant experience, but certainly in interviews after and even at the time. It seems like it was like, I'm contributing to something meaningful. So actually this is like increasing the satisfaction in my life. What, what we're saying here is I can actually do something which is unpleasant for me that I don't like doing, but it feels like I'm contributing to something meaningful and valuable beyond me. And I become more satisfied with my life. I just want to take a second to just unpack that and then we'll go to questions. So that means if I'm able to link what I'm doing to a, a, a greater purpose, let's say the ultimate purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I'm, if what I'm doing links to that, I can be content in all purposes, as you say, Alison. You know, what I'm saying here is that I can, I can actually be more satisfied with my life uh, by negative things than by positive things, like with people with, with children. It also means another thing, what they've done in, in more recently with happiness research is separated out. How, do I, how happy do I feel right now in this moment versus how happy do I feel with my life? How, how satisfied am I with my life? And that's a really important differentiation. So let's take one of the things they talk about in that Galatians passage. Let's say I'm at an orgy and my sense, you know, sensually in the flesh, I could be super duper happy right now in the moment, but feel hellishly awful about my life and both even then right in the moment whilst i'm doing whatever it is i'm doing i could be unsatisfied more unsatisfied in my life by, by what i'm doing as well as then afterwards but if i'm doing something really difficult but it feels to me like yes i'm contributing to something that's beyond me um uh, then then actually in the moment i can feel more satisfied in my life and definitely afterwards when i look back i can feel more happy with what i've what i've done Okay, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna stop talking. Uh, let me just, let me just check, check myself that, where are we going next? Yeah, I, I'm just gonna read this passage and then we'll take some questions. Yeah, I just wanted to, to I just wanted to say this. Um, I, I probably won't read it all. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, uh, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than them? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna read the whole passage. I'm gonna stop there and, and take, some, take some questions. Okay. Please, please ask away. With Action for Happiness. Ah, oh, yes, okay. Um, so just, I'm just gonna pick up on 
uh, what Sally Wallace is saying here. There is um, a, a kind of, uh, a, a few years ago, like a, um, an organization called Action for Happiness, which um, is it was set up by a guy called Richard Layard, who's um, like a, a, a peer. And basically he was like, we need to stop, um, we, or we need to lessen how much we wait how well we're doing on the economics of our country and more on the well-being of the people within our country. There's a, a broad range of, of kind of approaches. It's definitely worth looking at, I would say, because um, in terms of science, it's bang on and, and they are right on the front edge of getting the people who know about what makes us happy. And a lot of the things I've talked about, um, it's not, it's, it's secular, so it's not a kind of Christian thing, but certainly in terms of principles, they're drawing on stuff that to me is like smacks of the gospel. Um, yeah, I'm just going to read a couple. Yes, so I, I'm just going to just pull this one up. What about this, what the scripture that children are a blessing? So I guess where we're going next is some of the ways that, um, that whether you've got children, not children, rich, poor, there are clear biblically prescribed ways that bring us happiness that I think would go in hand in hand with the idea of having children being a, a blessing. Um, okay, there's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna skip past a couple of like technical questions, which I'll come to if we have time at the end. Um, yes, so uh, I'm just gonna answer this, this point that Bethan is, um, is asking. Thank you so much for these questions. Uh, what can churches do now to prefer, prepare for the tsunami of mental health problems that many say is coming? So I, um, I, I kind of agree with that, but I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to be like a gradual in inclination. That's from the data that I've seen like over the summer, it's not going to be like today we're like this and tomorrow it's suddenly uh, things, things, things get massively worse in one bite. I think we're definitely going to have an increase in mental health problems. What I wanted to talk about today is things that in that kind of drip drip way are going to be bringing things round to a more mentally healthy uh, context using kind of things for me that are kind of consistent with biblical principles. Um, and I agree with this point that um, Sheriff is, is making. Uh, surely spirit-filled Christians should have learned to be content, um, which brings happiness and joy, springs from our spirit. So I, I really agree with that. I think I, what I'm trying to say here is that by being human, you know, if you in that first question, you put I think winning the lottery, uh, like uh, m most of the people in my small group did, and I did when I first read that, I think making being happy, uh, getting a million pounds might make me a bit happier. Well, welcome to being human in a broken world. I guess there is something about the flesh, that idea of sensuality, the, 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 the sinful nature, the broken world we live in, which leads us to this, this idea of what they call within the research, miswanting, that we want things that clearly won't make us happier, um, but we, we want them anyway. And actually, it's, uh, I'm not confident that we can learn the difference uh, because actually when you give people the opportunity to see that it's different, they make the same choice again. Um, yes, I, a couple of people are mentioning Martin Seligman. I would, I would say that is a very good book, Flourish. But if there were one thing you wanted to kind of invest in this that, that again is in the kind of secular realm, but I think was super helpful for me, the Yale University have put online a course called uh, The Science of Wellbeing, um, which really goes through this in a very super practical way, doing some of the stuff we're gonna do now in the second half of this. Okay. Um, yes. 
So second half, I want to talk about some things that do make a difference um, and that really fit with what, what I, I see happening in the Bible, and you may too. I, I, I meant, I, just in case you didn't catch at the beginning, so I'm a kind of student of this too. If you see something that I've said that's wrong, please get, I might have missed it in the chat, please get in touch with me and tell me. I would want to know if I've said something that you know the evidence kind of points in the wrong direction to what I've just said. What we're going to talk about now is three ways that, that are kind of really clearly evidence-based now that make a difference to all three types of happiness. Um, we, we can have it all actually with some of these things. So uh, you might have heard of um, the value of gratitude and I just want to flag up something that's probably, you, you might not know, but it is really important here, is um, that, uh, that this kind of research that I'm talking about actually has a kind of bad rep in the science world because they just put it out there and say, this is for everyone whether you, you are struggling with your mental health or not, do it for everyone. So people in the general public are more likely to read it about it in the newspaper or on a website than they are to hear about the actual prescribed stuff. So you might well have heard that, for example, something like keeping a gratitude diary is good for you. So let's just, let me just uh, see, see what you'd guess would be the outcome of this and go wide with what you think would be the effect. So let's say for the next three weeks, something like between three or four days a week, you identified at the end of the day between one and three things that went well and why they went well. What do you think that, what impact do you think that might have on your, um, on your, 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 well, just on your life, not just your happiness? Um, an attitude of gratitude. Tell me, tell, come on, give me some answers to that. What do you think would happen? You keep this kind of gratitude diary, be more positive, more aware of blessings, more joyful, contented, generous. Claire Tompkins, do you, have, you been on, have you been on this seminar before? Um, big crease in contentment, more positive, uh, grateful for small things, 50%. I like that you put a percentage on it. Short-term gain, less so in the long run. Ah, good call, Matt Button. You've been paying attention, but this is an interesting thing. Let me tell you what, what you find. The, the key thing that we think happens now is that um, it switches the way that our minds work. A lot of the reasons why some of the things that I've talked about are, are so is because our minds are clearly weighted towards problem solving than uh, appreciation of good things. So, uh, you know, our minds are much more like sponges to problems and Teflon to, to good things. And this is really clearly borne out in the literature, but it's easy to show in a kind of thought experiment. Let's imagine you go shopping and you go to 10 shops and in nine of the shops, the shopkeeper is really pleasant and deals with you very um, kind of nicely. And in one shop, they're rude and short with you. They're kind of push past you to get to the next person. Who's the person that you're gonna go home and talk about? It's probably gonna be that one person who was rude. And now let's imagine it's 10 people and they all, all 10 shopkeepers are, are really nice to you. What are you more likely to go about? How was that shopping trip you went on? It was okay, but they didn't have my size in those trainers that I wanted, so I didn't get them, but never mind. I did get this stuff. We're much more likely to be thinking about solving problems. Bad shopkeeper, yes, that's quite right. But, um, we're much more likely to be thinking about problems than we are to be appreciating good stuff. And that is not a design flaw. Otherwise, how would our, if we just treated nice things and bad things equally, 
how would our heart break for problems, difficulties that are going on in the world that God would have us contribute to, to changing? But it, what this gratitude diary does is it starts off a process of um, scanning. For, so maybe the first week you're just being grateful for the things that you already knew you were grateful for, but it starts this process of actually, I need to look now, I've, I've kind of run out of my first ideas. What, what's going well? What's going well in my life? And it has all the effects that you said, uh, more positive, um, uh, more content with what we have, um, more happy, more, more happy with smaller things, all of those things. And, and one thing that we now know is that um, it doesn't matter if you are like mentally doing well or like really happy already, or if you were really struggling to start off with, it has a similar effect no matter where you are as your, as your baseline. But there's a couple of things um, that you probably wouldn't pick up if you read this about in your newspaper that are important here. One weird finding is if you go and tell people to do something like 10 things every day, 10 things that you're grateful for every day, uh, come back and, and, and tell me how you get on, versus something like three, four things between one and three items a day, and make sure you put down why you're grateful for it. People are less happier if you, if you get them to do it more frequently, like every day, 10 things a day. Why do you think that might be? Any, any, any ideas? Why do you think you get people to do it every single day, lots of time, lots of things, and fewer days? Yes. It feels like a task. And I just wanted to, I mean, I could have picked, I, I, this is almost at random. I just wanted to illustrate if this kind of idea of it becoming a chore becomes stressful. Um, if we, I'm just going to read, I, I picked this Psalm almost at random, but like, let me just read a little bit from Psalm 147. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow in the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord Jerusalem, praise your God, Zion. Let's compare that, what, Psalm 147. Let's imagine that there was a Psalm 151 that got edited out, and it was one that, um, it was one that I don't know, David wrote when, on a busy day, and he's like, Okay, I'm busy today, Lord. I'm just going to put it in bullet points. Um, you're great. You're mighty. You're loving. Uh, you're brilliant. Um, I, just, I haven't got time much time. So I just need to just get through this and get it done. This isn't a kind of like, this isn't a numbers game. I'm thankful for the sky and my shoes and my hat and my hair. It isn't that kind of thing. This is really like, I want to appreciate it. So you would be better off. That's why the one to three. You'd be better off going with the one thing that you notice today that you appreciate and make sure you put the why. And this would be like something I encourage you to try out. Three weeks, but I would go three times a week, one to three things. What do you appreciate? And make sure you put the why. What, what, why? Why is this important to me? Why do I care about this? And, and again, just read a couple of Psalms. You see it. You aren't going to be noticing the ravens if you are just bashing out your, your, your gratitudes in, in the way that I guess you might, if you were kind of like, oh gosh, I haven't done my gratitudes, let's get my 10 done. It's not that kind of game. Weirdly, you find the same thing with acts of kindness, which is the second thing I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I just wanna know what you think. You guys are clear, I mean, you've either guessed the game 
or you, 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 you know, you're so close to Jesus, you've already got over that miswanting. But let's, let, me, let, me, let me tell you a study that, that's kind of interesting here. We go out on the street and we go up to people and we either give them $5 or $20, yeah? And we either say to them, you can spend it on yourself or you can spend it on others. Let's just start with the $5 or $20. Let's make it pounds. It doesn't really matter for the purpose of this. We give someone five pounds or 20 pounds and they can spend it on themselves. Which is, is going to make them happier? The five people who had $5 or people who had $20? $5 or $20? Exactly. It should be $20. I've given you $20. You should be happier because I get, you didn't even expect this. $20. And who do you think would be happier? The people who spend it on themselves or the people who spend it on, the, uh, on others? <laughs> I prefer £20 to $20. Others, you know the game. This is like, you know, when I've, I've, I've needed kids and they always know that the answer is Jesus. It, it is others, but it's completely contrary to predictions. So let me just tell you that what they did here. So they, they do this, they go out the street, $5 or $20, self or others. Um, love to be part of this stuff. This isn't like the research that I do. And they also get a lot of people to predict. Are they gonna be happier if they get $20 or if they get $5? Are they gonna be happier if they use it on themselves or they use it on others? And guess they predict yes if they had twenty dollars they would be happier and if they spend it on themselves they would be happier and, and think about what you would do if you were feeling less happy would you and would you you know want to go and spend it on someone else or would you want to spend it on on yourself it's much more likely i think oh i just need a treat here i just need a nice coffee whatever anyway the, the results were there is no difference there is a boost in happiness if you um go and spend money on other people's that lasts and it also boosts the receiver's uh, happiness too but it doesn't matter if you spend five dollars or you spend twenty dollars there's no difference between five dollars versus twenty dollars and you are less happy if you spend uh, the, the the money on yourself and i just want to throw this in here because this is like so beautiful to me they then were like a number of people quite rightly said hey this was in america uh, like that's already pretty affluent, $20, $5, that's not a big deal to them. So they took it, did the same study in Uganda in a, in a little town just outside Kampala, found exactly the same results. Amongst people who on their questionnaires, some of them couldn't afford uh, their malaria um, medication that week. It didn't, still didn't matter whether they got $5 or $20 in terms of how much it increased the happiness of the giver or the receiver, the same results were found. And I just want to just take a step back from everything that I've said, because like, <laughs> how much does that sound like our God? You know, you could be, it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire, it doesn't matter if, whether you have much resource or little, that the fruit of the spirit is like wide open to all of us. And it doesn't matter whether you've got children, you've got, got children, whether you're married, you're single, yeah, that doesn't matter that he has made this, oh, it. <laughs> I guess it just feels so personal to me 
because it just feels crazy that God, I, I, I don't study this. I didn't start out studying this kind of stuff. This is like outside of my mind. I'm more about mental health problems. And it just feels like amazing to me that God would reach down through like the nerdiness of psychological research and go, hey, there you go. This is me, like right in the middle of this, like really sub-branch of science that you're in and I'm right there. So I just, it just always, it all just smacks to me of like, that's what God's like. Anyway, crikey, who cries when they're talking about psychological research? Let's go on, let's press on. I wanna tell you one more thing. As I, I just wanna remind you, if you've heard anything that is of value that you think would mean that you would do something different after this, write it down, text a friend, I'm gonna do this different. Can we talk about this at five o'clock? Do it now and please don't leave thinking, hey, that was interesting, what a useful idea. I'm fairly confident you won't do anything different if you approach this that way. Do something different. Anyway, oh, blooming heck. Right, and I'm wearing the wrong shirt to be so sweaty as I am. I hope you can't see it. Anyway, move on. I, I wanna give you this as a kind of parting gift about how to express gratitude to others. And again, I really see this in the Psalms, a way that people, uh, people are giving thanks to the ultimate giver of all gifts. I really think that the way we're talking, we, what we find in science is helps when you're doing this, um, makes a difference. So I just wanna give you a, a framing of a number of studies now, which make a difference to you. We'll just have a crazy big and long-standing difference for such a small thing. Um, so we talked about keeping a gratitude journal now, I would like you to think of someone who's alive, for whom, who, who's made like a significant positive impact on your life, but hasn't been suitably thanked for what they did. Someone who's alive in, in that kind of category. Yeah, you got someone? This is the intervention. Take a card or a letter, and write to them explaining why you're thankful for what they did, what it meant to your life, the impact it had on your life, and maybe some of the strengths and qualities you saw in them from what they did. And again, I think this is, this is like, these kind of encouragements is like how Paul writes his encouragements is this kind of clear in, in, in the letters, is, is how they talk about praise, thankfulness in, in the Psalms. And so uh, I wanna make it really clear and specific as, as to how I suggest you write this. And, and, and say this, I'll, I'll say that in a minute, but let's take this letter. Pick on a specific instance or spe specific instances of specific behaviors, as in, I really noticed when you, um, uh, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about my neighbors, when, the, you, when you, you were kind of so chilled out about letting the guys go in our garden, through your garden, and you didn't make us feel like that was a chore for you, that made such a difference to me. So when you did this, that had this effect on me. So uh, make sure they know what they did, how it impacted on you. It left me feeling like this, made me think this, what, changed the way that I did things. Make sure you get a, give them a sense of the personal impact on you. And then beyond that, you can be more general. Um, so link to more like, this showed me like your generosity that you are kind of like so patient with us as neighbors, or I'm thinking about my neighbor. Um, yeah, this is kind of, and then you can be more general. 
you know, this is why I broad, broadly why I value. This is the this is what shows me about you as a person. This is the overall impact it's had on my life. This kind of specific stuff is important. I guess what we can compare it to is stuff like, hey, you did great. Thank you. That is not bad. And it's feel, if you've ever done that, do not feel bad for doing that. But um, it's so easy to brush off. And it's, I, I had a, you know, in preparation for this, I had a go at this with like um, someone who's had a really big impact on my work. And I bodged it because I said it too generally. I said, you've been so supportive. I didn't pin it down. And he brushed it off, immediately brushed it off. Oh, no, no, no. It's harder to brush off when you do this, do it this specifically. And it makes such a big impact. So, and, so let's say you write this letter in this way. Go on then, have a guess at what you think would be the impact. Again, think broad. I can share the PowerPoint. Yes, yes, I will. Can you, can you, can you give me a sense of what you write this letter, you go, to, oh, sorry, I should have told you. You don't give it to them. You read it out loud to them and then you give it to them. What do you think is going to be the impact of that? You, you write a letter saying thanks to someone who's not been adequately thanked. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Huge impact. They cry. Yes, that is exactly, I was going to say that. Be, if you do this, prepare to cry. They're moved, tears. You feel more grateful. You are caught on completely. You cry <laughs> ugly tears. <laughs> and I already have. Exactly. This is like dropping a stone into a pond. I feel happier and more contented. I feel more grateful for the things that they did. I, just by writing the letter, I feel more grateful. They feel happier. And they're more likely to go on and do something uh, for someone else uh, in a similar vein. But here's the kicker. We write one letter, I don't know, let's say this takes half an hour if we really go at it. I'm happier and they're happier for a month, up, a month afterwards, and in some studies up to three months afterwards. This is the stuff that lasts. This is the stuff that doesn't wear, that's the same amount of time as it boosts your happiness as winning a million dollars. Uh, so actually this is like a real knock-on effect. And that's the bit I wanted to leave you with before we just touch on a couple of questions. I'm really aware I've not been very good at answering questions in this. I'm sorry. They've, they've gone up the chat before I've even got to them. But I wanted to leave you with this. <laughs> We're in like the middle of a really terrible virus. But what I'm showing you here is uh, connections between people who are happy and who are sad. The blue is people who are sad. The yellow is people who are happy. The green is people who are in between. And what you will notice pretty quickly is that happier people and sadder people are clustered together. There's two reasons for that. Again, very well replicated. I, I would ideally not show you anything that I wouldn't feel confident in the science in. What this is saying is, one, that yes, birds of a feather lock together, uh, flock together. If you're happy, then it'd be like, oh, hey, you write gratitude letters, I write gratitude letters, let's hang out. Yeah, that does happen. But what's also clear here is emotional contagion. That this is like a, this kind of um, generosity, kindness, uh, joy is, is clearly contagious and to a degree that we very rarely consider possible. And let me just explain how contagious it is. So uh, we take me, let's assume that I'm happy. And then I've got a brother who I know very well, John, 
my happiness is likely to have a significant impact on his happiness. He's got a friend called Sean, who I don't know very well, but he knows very well. My happiness is gonna have a significant impact on Sean's happiness. Sean's got a wife called Caroline. Again, I don't know, I know her even less. My happiness is gonna have a significant impact on Caroline's happiness. Three nodes out. Your friends, your friends of your friends, and your friends of your friends. And the big thing is, the more distinctive the behavior, so this, this applies for smoking, say, as well, obesity, a number of other things, but the more distinctive the behavior, the bigger the splash it has. So let's just take it as smoking. Let's say I'm in a network where I'm the only non-smoker, yeah? All of my network around me are smokers. Um, the, the most likely thing to actually happen is that I will start smoking because of the, that network. But let's say I continue not smoking. I'm going to have a much bigger impact on my network than if I was amongst several like non-smokers. And this is the same with these kind of like sowing to the spirit in this kind of way. It's going to have a big time impact and many of which you will not get to know about because it'll be your friends of friends of friends. Um, so yeah, I would really encourage you to do something off the back of this um, and, and put in the chat if you're going to do something, but also last couple of minutes um, to, to take some questions. Um, I'm aware there's lots of beautiful things going on in the chat that I'm completely missing. I really want to take the time to look afterwards. And I just want to thank you, just in case cuts off before I get to say thanks. Thank you so much for participating. This would not have been, if it had been a silent chat, this would have been a much shorter talk. Um, but yeah, any questions? If you've asked one before and I missed it, please ask again. I'll just try and get through a couple now. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Any question, please, if you posted a question before, please put, put it back in now and I'll just try and catch it in the last couple of minutes. How do we encourage thankfulness in our children? That is a good point, Nicola. And I, we've started something in my house that I, I cannot take credit for. We have a kind of pattern in our house where my wife suggests something and I say, no, that's a terrible idea. And six months later, I suggest it as if it were my idea. And occasionally it goes the other way around. I suggest something and then six months later, Lucy's like, oh, hey, I've got a good idea. She came up with this, this didn't fit with us. She came up with this completely on her own. We now have a jar on the table at dinner time, And the two of us kind of instigate a kind of like, what's one thing I'm thankful for today? And then we just kind of tease out the why. Well, why is that important to you? And then we sometimes we tie that into like the grace that we say at dinner. Sometimes we miss it. So we really are trying to hold it like we don't want this to be to come the chore like we were talking about. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm aware we're coming to the end of time. Um, please do get in touch with me after this if you would like to. Uh, my email's sam.mainins. Uh, I'll just give you my uni email. sam.mainins at nottingham.ac.uk. Um, uh, I'm sorry for the questions I haven't been, I haven't been able to answer. Um, and yeah, just a couple of the questions in here are really well answered in the Science of Happiness course. I would super encourage that. I only did it last week, so I can't speak for how it's impacted my life long term, but it's been a bit of a mind changer for me. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking part. Um, yeah, and I really hope this has a, a, a kind of positive impact on your walk with Jesus in your life. Thank you.